Is God real? Are the stories in the Bible true? I need answers. Welcome to A Closer Look with the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. I'm Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh, and I'm very happy that you chose to spend the next hour with us as we delve into the study of God's Word. We can't do what we don't know. Here at Shiloh, we want to spend time studying the Word so that we can rightly apply the Word to our daily living and make a difference in our community and in our world for Jesus Christ. Won't you join us now for a closer look into God's Word? We want to continue our uh, look at uh, the book of James, uh, we've entitled this Living Faith, uh, and we are in James chapter 2 today. Uh, we covered uh, the first chapter in the first two weeks. Uh, we're going to cover the first half of the second chapter today, uh, verses 1 through 13 are the verses that uh, we are uh, going to focus on. We said when we started that James is less theological and more practical and pragmatic uh, than many of the other writings of uh, the New Testament. Certainly uh, more practical than much of the writing of the Apostle Paul. Most of us are familiar uh, with Paul than we are with anything else in the New Testament because Paul writes about half of our New Testament depending upon what you do with Hebrews. Paul is either responsible for 13 or 14 books of our New Testament. Uh, uh, if you give him Hebrews, it's 14. I don't give him Hebrews. And, and, and you say, well, who wrote Hebrews? I don't know and nobody else knows either. But uh, uh, still, half of the New Testament was written by the Apostle Paul. As a result, much of what we know about uh, Christian theology comes uh, from Paul. Uh, if you want to be totally honest about it, and some people find this disconcerting, we get more of our uh, church theology from Paul than you do from Jesus. Uh, because uh, what, what we have in the words of Jesus are, are uh, the rehearsals of his words found in the four gospel accounts, and then uh, there are certain specific places where Jesus is quoted in other books. But much of what we know about uh, church theology doesn't come from Jesus, it comes from Paul. Uh, James does not write a theological uh, book. Uh, th this epistle is far less theological and far more practical. And we see the practicality of it. We see the pragmatism of it as we get into chapter 2. Because now he's starting to move into specific areas where he says the church is missing the mark when it comes to uh, behavior versus profession. We said when we started two weeks ago that James doesn't care what you profess. James only cares about what you do. And when he doesn't see your uh, behavior lining up with your profession, he calls that out. So look at the first 13 verses of James chapter 2 and we'll get a picture of how he calls that out here. My dear friends, don't let public opinion influence how you live out our glorious Christ-originated faith. If a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit and a street person wearing rags comes in right after him, and you say to the man in the suit, sit here, sir, this is the best seat in the house, 
and either ignore the street person or say, better sit here in the back now. Haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who can't be trusted? Listen, dear friends, isn't it clear by now that God operates quite differently? He chose the world's down and out as the kingdom's first citizens with full rights and privileges. This kingdom is promised to anyone who loves God. And here you are abusing these same citizens. Isn't it the high and mighty who exploit you, who use the courts to rob you blind? Aren't they the ones who scorn the new name Christian used in your baptisms? You do well when you complete the royal rule of the Scripture, love others as you love yourself. But if you play up to these so-called important people, you go against the rule and stand convicted by it. You can't pick and choose in these things, specializing in keeping one or two things in God's law and ignoring others. The same God who said don't commit adultery also said don't murder. If you don't commit adultery but go ahead and murder, do you think that your non-adultery will cancel out your murder? No, you're a murderer, period. Talk and act like a person expecting to be judged by the rule that sets us free. For if you refuse to act kindly, you can hardly expect to be treated kindly. Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. And I didn't read that last part well. Kind mercy wins over harsh judgment every time. The way I read it made it sound like it was saying something that it wasn't saying. James is saying something very simplistic here. Treat everybody the same. Treat everyone equally. Treat everyone with fairness. You can't say that you are practicing your faith if you treat some people better than others based upon your perception of their importance. Now, let's get some, some, some very simple stuff out of the way real fast. If you have friends, personal relationships with people, it is normal and human that you're going to treat your friends differently than you treat people who are not your friends. Can we agree on that? Y'all consider me looking at me like y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but you do know <laughs> what I'm talking about. We're going to treat our friends differently than, than we treat strangers, okay? That's not what James is talking no. about. We're going to treat family different than we are non-family. You ain't inviting non-family to Christmas dinner. Or if you do, it's going to be because they're as close as family. Yeah, it's all right. I, I know I'm right. <laughs> and that's not what James is talking about either. What James is talking about is a consistent preferential treatment that we give to certain folk because we perceive that they are more important than other people. When, 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 when the law does this, when law enforcement does this, 
It's called profiling. And, 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 and we get all upset, especially if, if, if it's racial profiling. If, if, if we see evidence, if we hear of something called racial profiling, we say that's not right. It shouldn't happen that way. The law, law enforcement should not treat one race different than another. Law enforcement should not treat poor people different than rich people. Law enforcement should not treat people who live in one neighborhood different from those who live in a different neighborhood. And when we say that, we are absolutely correct in our assessment. But did you know that profiling doesn't just take place in law enforcement? Did you know that sometimes profile takes place in the church? Let me take it a step further. Most of y'all in here are members of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. Did you know that profile sometimes takes place in Shiloh? Missionary Baptist Church. It is never correct. It is never appropriate. It is never Christian for us to profile people and treat them differently based upon our perception of who they are, what they have, and what they can contribute. When we do that, then we are acting no different than the world. And we are setting up caste systems within the body of Christ, caste, C-A-S-T-E, caste systems. That, that is, we're, we're setting up groups, and, and we say that some groups are more important than other groups within the church. Uh, uh, I, I know I've said this to you before. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi, Mohandas Gandhi, uh, as a young man, was considering uh, becoming a Christian. He, he had read about Jesus, and he liked what he read. And he said, I, I, I really strongly considered becoming a Christian until I went to one of your churches. And, and, and he said, when I went to one of your churches, I was, I was mistreated. I, 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 I was told that I could not sit with other people. I, I was relegated to a certain section within the church. And, and he said, I, I like your Jesus. Yeah. but I don't like your Christians. Yeah. How many of us, and let's be, let's be honest, most of us in here have been in the church most of our lives, if not all of our lives. How many of us can say we love our Jesus, but we don't necessarily love our fellow Christians because they don't treat us correctly? That's what James is, is lifting up. He is saying that it is an evil. It is 
wrong. And we should recognize that it is wrong. And we should do everything in our power to make sure that we are not guilty of that wrong. The principle that James lifts up here is rooted in the character of God. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 10. Key verses, verse 17, keeping it in its context, I'm going to start reading with verse 14. Look around you. Everything you see is God's. The heavens above and beyond, the earth and everything on it. But it was your ancestors who God fell in love with. He picked their children. That's you out of all the other peoples. That's where we are right now. So cut away the thick calluses from your heart and stop being so willfully hard-headed. God, your God, is the God of all gods. He's the master of all masters, a God immense and powerful and awesome. He doesn't play favorites, takes no bribes, makes sure orphans and widows are treated fairly. Remember last week we were talking about what pure religion is? Treats or makes sure orphans and widows are treated fairly. Takes loving care of foreigners by seeing that they get food and clothing. Keep reading, verse 19. I've already covered the verse, the verse that I wanted to read, but look at verse 19. You must treat foreigners with the same loving care. Remember, you were once foreigners in Egypt. Reverently respect God, your God, serve him, hold tight to him, back up your promises with the authority of his name. He's your praise. He's your God. He did all these tremendous, these staggering things that you saw with your own eyes. God doesn't show favorites, and we are not to show favorites. Turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 19. Key verses are verses 6 and 7. To keep it in its context, let's just start with verse 4. Jehoshaphat kept his residence in Jerusalem but made a regular round of visits among the people from Beersheba in the south to Mount Ephraim in the north, urging them to return to God the God of their ancestors. And he was diligent in appointing judges in the land. Each of the fortress cities had its judge. He charged the judges, this is serious work. Do it carefully. You are not merely judging between men and women. These are God's judgments that you are passing on. Live in the fear of God. Be most careful. For God hates dishonesty, partiality, and bribery. Favoritism is not compatible with the proper practice of Christian faith. When we do that, we are going against the character of God, whom we say we represent. Now, the question should be asked, and I'm sure you're asking it in your own minds, why would James say this? What would cause him 
to bring this up. Why, why would he talk about people showing favoritism in the church? Well, the answer is, is very simple, because folk were showing favoritism in the church. You mean, you mean in the first century church? You mean right after the church got started? You know, you know we, we, we tend to, to believe that, 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 that new stuff is better and, 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 and more accurate and, and, and more true than, 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 than old stuff. But this is the first century church. Church is no more than 55, 60 years old at the most. And I'm stretching it to go that far. We're 2,000 years in. But, but at the 50-year mark, James is talking about folks showing partiality in the church. Yes. One of, one of the, the, the great tragedies of life is that often when we try to improve something, when, when, when we try to renew something, we take on the characteristics of that which we were trying to improve upon. Go all the way back to, 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 to when God called Abraham. God calls Abraham out of his father's house and says, from you, I'm going to form a new nation. My people, the people that I have created, don't know me, they have walked away from me. I'm going to use you and your family and I'm going to bless you and through the blessing of you, all other nations of the earth will be blessed. They will see how I have blessed you and they will be drawn to worship me through seeing how I have blessed you. That's how Israel got its start. That, 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 that's, that's how the nation became what it was. And yet, over time, what happened to the nation of Israel? They became corrupt. They became prejudicial. They became uh, partial. They, 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 they became a thing that God abhorred because they would not follow what God had set out. They followed after other gods. They, they, they became corrupt and they became evil. Then Jesus comes along. And when Jesus comes along, he calls out a church. Not put together, not, 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 not established and, and comprised based upon bloodline, but based upon faith. Whosoever will, let him come and drink freely from the fountain of life. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And yet, once the church got established, the church pulled out from Israel. The, the, the church pulled out from Judaism, from Orthodox Judaism, and all of the staleness of Judaism. I, I just told you that, that much of our, our theology comes from Paul, and much of Paul's writing has to do with the church setting itself apart from Orthodox Judaism. You don't need to follow the law. All you need is to have faith in Christ. And if you have faith in Christ, that supersedes the law. The, the, the book of Hebrews 
is written specifically to say that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament law. You don't need to worry with the law anymore. All you have to do is serve Christ. So now we have a church that was pulled out of this nation of Israel, which was pulled out of the world. And Israel was pulled out because the people were corrupted. Now the church has been pulled out because Israel is corrupt. And now James is saying, the church, which was pulled out of Israel, which was pulled out of the people, is corrupt. In the same way that Israel was corrupt, in the same way that people were corrupt, the church is now corrupt. The church is not corrupt, James says, from a lack of understanding what God wants and what God expects. The church is corrupt because the church cannot free itself from the fetters of its humanity. Now think about that. Think about what I just said. My friend James Terrence would say, I just said something. The problem with the church is not its theology. The problem with the church is its humanity. Don't ever think that you got to be so holy that you stop being human. And don't ever think that your humanity stays outside when you come inside. You bring all your stuff with you when you come into the church. <coughs> Camera's on me, it ain't, it ain't on you, okay? So, when I say what I'm about to say, don't, no, he ain't talking about me, no. You got folk in here. This, this, is, this is just a fraction of our membership. You have folk in here right now who won't speak to other folk in here right now. Will walk right by them and act like they didn't see them. Will do that sideways. You know, when you're walking by somebody, you don't want to touch them and you turn to the side to keep from touching them. In here, right now. Because we brought our humanity with us yeah. into the church. Y'all don't just know each other from sitting on the same pew. Some of y'all went to school with each other. Some of y'all are part of the same social groups. Some of y'all live in the same neighborhood. Some of y'all part of the same clubs. Some of y'all go out to the club together. Amen. Some of y'all done, 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 done some things together. I didn't say what. I just said done done some things together. You think y'all left all of that outside 
when y'all came in here, you brought all of that with you into the church. This, this leads me to, to a point that I make quite regularly, which is the church is far more human than it is theological. It's far more cultural than it is theological. You, you think that you can get away from the culture when you come into the church. You think you ought to be able to get away from the culture when you come into the church. But the truth of the matter is we bring our culture with us into the church. And it is not to say that all of our culture is evil all the time, but let's be fair and let's be honest with ourselves. If you can't be honest with nobody else, you ought to be able to be honest with yourself. We bring a lot of our likes and dislikes with us into the church. We bring a lot of our prejudices with us into the church. We bring a lot of our preferences with us into the church. I started by saying, it's okay to like some people more than others. That's, that's human. It's not okay to mistreat people because you like one person more than another. People have friendships. People have, have the group that they hang with. That's why y'all sitting where y'all sitting, because y'all hang with one another. And that's okay. Don't think, I ain't going to come here and say, all right, now y'all got to move. Y'all got to rearrange. All, I, I'm not doing none of that. But what I am saying is, it's one thing to have friendships. It's another thing to mistreat folk who ain't in your circle. And too much of the church has people who are mistreating other people. Not outside the church. In the church. Because they ain't in your circle. Because, because they, they, they don't fit within your crowd. Because they're just, some folk y'all don't like, y'all don't even know nothing about them. They just don't look right. Oh, yeah. You know how I know you, you, it, 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 it's just that they don't look right? Look at what James says. He says, if a man enters your church wearing an expensive suit, and a street person wearing rags comes in right after him. And you say to the man in the suit, sir, sit here. This is the best seat in the house. And either ignore the street person or say, better sit here in the back row. Haven't you segregated God's children and proved that you are judges who can't be trusted? Now, what's not said in the text? What's, what's not said is, you don't know nothing about either one of them except what you saw. So you think that a suit makes somebody? You, you, you think that all the devils wear rags and all the angels wear custom-made stuff. Really? 
Y'all live longer enough to know that ain't true. Some of the worst folk in the world dress better than anybody you, you, you can find. Drive good stuff too. Smell good too. But, but, but their hearts are not right. Yes, Cor corruption from within. Prejudice and partiality are all a part of the same piece. Partiality is simply fleshing out prejudice. It is the outer practice of an inner attitude. In other words, if we act partial towards one person or one group over another, it's a sign that we have a prejudice toward one group over another. And James says that it is not Christian. That when we do this, we are practicing something that is antithetical to the teaching of Christ. I, I, I've already quoted Jesus when he spoke to Nicodemus, John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever, whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, whoever means everybody. It means anybody. And it means that we don't get to pick and choose who stays outside of the whoever. And when we do that, we are engaged in something called spiritual snobbery. And we should be on guard against that. I know that there are groups and, and, and where, 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 where you have to apply to become a part. Yeah. Where you have to go through a process of membership to become a part. I know that there are groups that don't let certain folk in because they don't meet the qualification. Because in some way or another, those who make up the group have decided that those who are trying to get into the group are deficient. They're lacking in something. If that's the way you want to be in your group, that's your group. You can do with your group whatever you want to do. I'm not here to change the rules of your group. Ten years ago, I would have argued against it. I ain't arguing against it no more. I've, I think I've gotten a little bit smarter over ten years. But I will say this, when it comes to the church, ain't nobody in here that can put anybody out. Nobody. Which one of y'all in here is so straight, so holy, so close with God? that you can stand up and say, well, they don't need to be in the same church that, that I'm a part of. They, they don't meet the qualifications to be a part of the same church that I'm a part of. And good, ain't nobody raising their hands saying I'm 
Nobody can say that because all of us know that ain't none of us worthy of being here. All have sinned and all have come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous. No, not one. All of our righteousness is as filthy rags before God. So there, there is no one in this group, in the church, who's qualified to vote no. Y'all remember when we used to vote folk into the church? My brothers and sisters, brother so-and-so has, has come saying that he wants to become a part of the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church. What's your pleasure? And, and, thank you. Brother past officers and members, I move that brother so-and-so be made a member of the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church by virtue of his Christian experience. Brother pastor, I second the motion. Properly moved and seconded that brother so-and-so become a member of the Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church by virtue of his Christian experience. All those in favor, please say aye. Y'all remember that? Don't, 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 don't act like y'all too young to remember what I'm talking about. That's the way we used to take folk into the church. And I, would, I was a little boy sitting on the third row next to my grandmother, and I was asking myself, who's qualified to say nay? Of course, they never asked all those opposed saying, they, 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 they just assumed that everybody, they were going through a motion. They, they, they were going through a pretense. Thank God we got rid of the pretense. We don't need the pretense because all of us know ain't none of us qualified to be a part of this. You might not be able to be a part of a fraternity or a sorority. You might not be able to be a part of a civic organization. You might not have the financial portfolio to live in a certain neighborhood, but anybody, anybody can be a part of the church. They've lived a terrible life. What they come into the church for? You lived a terrible life too. Only difference is you know what their terrible stuff is. They don't know what yours is. Well, I haven't done what they did. No, but you thought it. Jesus says as, a, as you think, we, 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 we like to quantify sin based upon what you did. Jesus says you don't have to commit adultery. All you got to do is have lust in your heart and it's the same it's the same well it ain't the same as doing it. yes no one is a crime but both are sins and, 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 and then that's part of our problem we equate sin with crime there are things that are crimes that are not sins and there are things that are sins that are not crimes. 
And so for us to, to, to equate sin and crime as though they are one and the same, you're missing the mark altogether. God's standard is so much higher than, than man. See, when you, when you reduce sin to a crime, you have reduced it down to man's standard. God's standard is higher than that. When you, when you came in here whispering about somebody, oh, you know you did. You know you did. When, when you came in here whispering about somebody, that's gossip. And did you know that gossip is a sin? Did you know that? When you take stuff that doesn't belong to you and, 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 and say, the Lord blessed me with this. <laughs> did you know that that's a sin? There's nobody in the church who, 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 whose character is so sterling that they, that, that they, can, they can say, well, these people don't belong in the church. And when we do that, we have brought our culture with us into the church. The church is far more cultural than it is theological. Listen, dear friends, isn't it clear by now that God operates quite differently? He chose the world's down and out as the kingdom's first citizens with full rights and privileges. This kingdom is promised to anyone who loves God. And here you are abusing these same citizens. And then he asks a question. Isn't it the high and mighty who exploit you? Who use the courts to rob you blind? Aren't they the ones who scorn the new name Christian used in your baptisms? Well, let, 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 let's start with, with, with the first thing that James says, which is Jesus came to bring in the very folk that, we're, that, that, that James says they're exploiting. Turn to Luke chapter 4, starting with verse 16. He came to Nazareth, he being Jesus, where he had been reared. As he always did on the Sabbath, he went to the meeting place. When he stood up to read, he was handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. Unrolling the scroll, he found the place where it was written, God's spirit is on me. He's chosen me to preach the message of good news to the poor. Sent me to announce pardon to prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind. To set the burdened and battered free. To announce this is God's year to act. James says the very people that Jesus said he came to save. 
Because after that, it says he rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the assistant, sat down. Every eye in the place was on him, intent. Then he started in. You've just heard the scripture make history. It came true just now in this place. This is what I came to do. This is who I came to reach. James says, you're discriminating against the very people that Jesus said he came to save. At another point, they, they, they were criticizing Jesus because of who he hung with. They said, you hang out with the worst folk. And Jesus said, well, well you know, it ain't well folk who need a doctor. It's sick folk that need a doctor. So, so I ain't hanging out with all you well people, all, all, all you Pharisees and Sadducees and all, 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 all you holier-than-thou, good, healthy folk. Y'all don't need me. Y'all got everything y'all need. I came to help those who ain't got nothing. I came to lift up those who are sick. So, if Jesus says this is who he came to reach, how does his church get to say, y'all don't need to be a part of us? It started the moment he left. He, he gets on a cloud and ascends out of their sight. And the moment he's gone, Peter says, we got to have a meeting. Come on, folks. Come, come, come on, it's, it's time for us to have a meeting. Mind you, Jesus didn't tell him nothing about having no meeting. Jesus said, wait for the Spirit to come. Don't do nothing till the Spirit comes. But the moment he was out of their sight, we got to have a meeting. Peter called the meeting. Peter set the agenda for the meeting because the agenda was to fill the empty seat left by Judas. Peter set the criteria for the meeting. We got to pick from certain folk. You, you, you can't pick from everybody. You can only pick from certain folk. It has to be these folk. They have to meet this criteria. And then Peter decided how they were going to pick. We're going to throw dice. <laughs> and whoever the dice falls. Did you hear what I said? Jesus said, don't do nothing. But the moment Jesus is gone, Peter said, have a meeting. Peter sets the agenda for the meeting. Peter sets the criteria for the meeting. Peter sets how we're going to make the decision. And after Peter does all of that, then Peter says, let us pray. <laughs> Does that sound familiar to anybody? We do what we want. We set it up how we want it. We put all the rules in place that we think ought to be there. And after we've done what we want to do, we tell God, bless what we have done. James says there's, a, there's something wrong with that. So, so, so that, that, that's the first thing. He says, you're going against the very thing that Jesus said he came to do. He came to reach those that you are leaving out. And then James says, not only are you doing that, but this is really 21st century. He says, you're going against your own best interest. 
in catering to these rich folk, in catering to these uppity-ups, powerful folk. You're catering to the folk who are actually out to destroy you. He asked the question. He says, aren't these the same folk, the high and mighty, who exploit you, who use the court to rob you blind? Aren't these the same folk you vote for president of the United States of America? This is 21st century stuff. The most hypocritical group in the world right now, in my this is this is Fred's opinion. This ain't their opinion. The views expressed in these next few moments belong solely to him and should not be asserted as to belonging to anybody else that he's talking to. But I mean it from my heart. The most hypocritical group in this nation today is evangelical Christians. Evangelical Christians who stand up behind Donald Trump and prop him up on every weak and leaning side. And guess what? He's got a bunch of weak and leaning sides that they continue to prop him up on. I'm not suggesting that we are holier than thou. I, I've already gone through the fact that, that we're, we're not holier than thou. But at the very least, can we try to be a little consistent? Y'all remember Bill Clinton? Y'all remember what the evangelical moral majority did to Bill Clinton? Because Bill Clinton had uh, affairs and, 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 and had illicit sex with people outside of his marriage and then lied about it in office. You remember how they impeached Bill Clinton, how they wanted him out of office? And, and, and I'm not saying that anything that he did was right. I'm not affirming, I'm not upholding anything that he did. But Donald Trump, has done everything that Bill Clinton did and more and bragged about And the same moral majority evangelical folk who castigated Clinton support Donald Trump. All I'm, all I'm saying is, where is the consistency? If Bill Clinton was unfit for office, as many of you might think he was unfit. Well, I, I, I don't know. We didn't take a poll. I don't know what your views are on that. But if Bill Clinton was unfit for office, surely Surely. Can I go into my preacher voice? Surely. 
Donald Trump is wholly unfit for office. Here's something else. When Bill Clinton got caught, Bill Clinton, whether it's true or not, acted like he knew the Lord. You'd see him on Sunday carrying his Bible as he got out of his car and going into, into church. And go, Donald Trump don't go to nobody's church. Donald Trump calls 2 Corinthians 2 Corinthians? <laughs> Donald Trump said, I have never asked God for forgiveness of anything because I have never felt like I needed to be forgiven. And the evangelical Christian movement within this country stands behind him and supports him and mimics him and wears those dumb red caps that says, make America great again. James asked the question, isn't it the high and mighty who exploit you? who used the courts to rob you blind? Donald Trump doesn't pay his bills. Donald Trump hires people to, to, to do work for him. This is not opinion. This ain't opinion. Terrence, find the newspaper slots and put them in there. This is not opinion. He, he does not pay his bills. And he tells people, take me to court. He invites them to sue him. The United States Congress has issued subpoenas to members of the Trump administration, and the administration at the behest of the president has said, we will ignore your subpoenas. Another person linked to the Trump administration is refusing to appear before Congress. John Gore, the current principal deputy attorney general, becomes the third person this week to say he will ignore a subpoena by House Democrats. He joins Carl Klein, the former White House personnel security director. Klein was instructed by the administration not to testify regarding security clearances. The president also says he will fight Don McGahn's subpoena. The former counsel to the president was asked to appear after his name was found over 150 times in special counsel Robert Mueller's findings. The lack of compliance comes as the president intensifies the fight surrounding that report. Mr. Trump told the Washington Post this week both current and former staffers should not testify on Capitol Hill. He argues his office cooperated fully with Mueller. Therefore, there is no reason to go any further. We will not appear. We will not answer questions. We will. We do not recognize your authority. Isn't it the high and mighty that exploit you, who use the courts to rob you blind? We act against our own best interest.
And somehow or other, we think that by currying the favor of these people, God is going to bless us. Well, there ought to be something to us that says that we're going to act with some degree of integrity. If it's wrong on Sunday, I'll bet you dollars to donuts is wrong on Monday and on Tuesday and on Wednesday. Somebody, I lost somebody when I said I'll bet. <laughs> I will give you a dozen Krispy Kreme donuts. <laughs> if something is wrong on Sunday, but it's okay on Monday or on Tuesday or on Wednesday or on Thursday or on Friday or on Saturday. We have no integrity. And because we have no integrity, we have no authority. And because we have no authority, the world looks at us and the world laughs at us. Politicians only come around when they need us to vote. Now, I'm going to say this. I got four minutes left. I ain't going to get to the rest of this. That's all right. But I'm going to say this so, so, so that you watching at home won't get too upset with me. It ain't just Republicans. The, the, the current governor of the state of Louisiana, John Bell Edwards, had someone call here the other day and, and, and tell me that the governor wanted to attend worship here with us on, 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 on a couple of Sundays back. And I said, that's fine. He's more than welcome to come. Well, uh, he wanted to know if he's going to be able to say anything when he comes. I said, no. <laughs> He won't. I said, we'll, we'll acknowledge that he was here. And if he stays to the end of worship, if he wants to talk to anybody when worship is over, he's more than free to do so. But no, he won't be given any opportunity to say anything during worship. And then the, the person said, well, we'll get back in touch with you because he has other uh, churches that are also looking at him coming in and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be back in touch. Can I tell you the phone has not rung? They only want to come around when it's time to vote. Mr. Governor, if you want to help us, make sure that ITEP stays local and that taxes are paid by corporations just like they're paid by individuals. That, that, that'll help us. Make sure that health care is available to everybody, regardless of what neighborhood they live in. That will help us get rid of food deserts and, and, and sign something that says that there will be grocery stores in parts of town where currently there are none. Get state troopers out from behind desks and get them driving down streets to keep these people from killing one another and make people feel more safe within their own community. You want to help me? Don't come give me a speech on Sunday morning. You can help me a whole lot more, Mr. Governor. And, 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 and I don't have anything against the governor. 
but you ain't going to come in here and exploit us and make me feel like you've done me a favor. Because you showed up here. And everybody got to move out your way. So that, didn't he just say something about getting certain folks in one place and other folks in another? I don't think I'm going here from the governor. There's always a prayer aspect because uh, anytime you do something for the Lord, uh, you always want to seek his guidance. Uh, after, uh, after praying though, it's, it's a combination of things because uh, one, you want to, to try to unify your audience. Uh, you want to unify them in a way that doesn't offend anybody, but at the same time you want to be able to offer like a fresh experience. Uh, so a lot of, uh, a lot of the, 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 the people that uh, we're ministering to goes into that, that factor. Uh, like, for instance, on first Sunday, uh, it's a mass choir Sunday, at least at, at the 11 a.m. service. So I'm primarily focused more on the older generation. Uh, and we're, we're more inclined to do uh, material that, that, that's dear to their hearts. Uh, you hear a lot, of, a lot more hymns on first Sunday uh, as opposed to maybe like the second Sunday. Second Sunday is, is ge uh, geared more towards our youth, our young adult, uh, and our children. So. There'll be a, uh, the music will change a little bit. It'll be a little more contemporary, a little bit more progressive. But at the same time, uh, not to alienate uh, anyone, we'll still come back and we'll have at least one hymn uh, to kind of get everybody uh, involved. And I think at the end of the day, it's uh, it's that healthy mixture that kind of sets even this church apart from uh, from other churches, uh, other services, even even other denominations. Uh, we're not afraid. To, uh, to do contemporary music and in the same tone do a, a spiritual or a, a good old hymn, something like Amazing Grace or How, How Great Thou Art. Uh, and I think that all goes into our preparation process. The fact that we're just not afraid, we, we, we'll try anything. <laughs> This is Fred Jeff Smith, pastor of Shiloh Missionary Baptist Church, inviting you to give consideration to our Early Learning Academy as you look for a place for your pre-K, kindergarten, or first grader. We would love to have the opportunity to serve your child. We have outstanding facilities and a wonderful staff of certified teachers itching to serve you. Come by and share with us as soon as you can.